So if you will, um, let's stand together, and I'm going to read the first portion of this with you guys, um, and then we will we'll continue from there. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 37. This is kind of the conclusion from where Pastor Mitchell left off last week. Um, there's a question that was asked, right? The, the gospel was preached. Peter preached a message, and then there was a question asked, like, what do, what do we do, right? So in verse 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, let's just pray real quick, and then we'll go from there. Dear Lord, uh, we give you thanks for allowing us to come to this place to hear the gospel preached, right? We give you thanks for allowing us to use your word as a guide and giving us a path in which we should go and in which we should work and let the Spirit come and move in our being, Lord. And we just give you thanks for these passages because they will guide us in the proper way that you want us to go. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, where we left off, I'm going to recap from Acts chapter 2, the beginning, right? Uh, we know that in, in Acts chapter 1, basically uh, all the apostles and disciples have gathered together after Jesus has ascended, right? Ascended out of this world. He is no longer on earth. And uh, they've come together in one place, and they're praying. They're devoting themselves to prayer. And about 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, the Holy Spirit's always existed. Uh, but the difference is that the Holy Spirit now is the point of bap being baptized. We're baptized through the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, there comes gifts, and there comes these things that, that we couldn't do on our own, mostly courage. Courage is the, the thing that I think is the most important. Peter, for instance, was a timid man, you know, the one who was a conflicted man. He wanted to do things but never could really complete it. You know, he stayed at a distance and disowned Jesus three times, right? But it, he tried to walk on water but failed. But this same Peter, after receiving the Holy Spirit, then gets up and delivers this message that is so impactful that all 3,000 people, or maybe more, right? There's probably more than that, but at least 3,000 who were there asked them, what shall we do? And he says simply in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, this is what at the end of a message, like the end of a really impactful message, this is what we in a um, revivalist, post-revivalist generation would call the altar call, right? This is like, this is what Billy Graham would do. He'd gather all the saints together and pray for them and, and give them, you know, pray over them and have them accept Jesus into their heart. And I'm not going to say that that is bad, but I'm going to say that there is more to that. There's more. There's deeper, right? And what we're going to see as we go through verse 47, which we'll get there in a minute, is there are certain things that are requirements of the Christian life. So it's one thing to just accept Christ. It's another to actually live the life that Christ has asked you to. And so that's why this morning I want everyone's attention. <laughs> so what does he say first? Peter said to them, 
This is verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you have pens or paper with you, or if you have a marker or something, you want to you kind of notch something, a word that's worth looking at. The word is repent. We're going we're gonna to look at two words here today that are essential. They go hand in hand. Repent is the first one. Now, when we think repent, um, generally we think to ask for forgiveness for our sins, right? That's what, that's what this word comes in that context of. As we repent, we ask for forgiveness, and then Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, right? That, that's kind of how we think. And some of us think that that's a one-time event. It's not. Um, rather, it's a daily event. When we, I was talking earlier about day by day, that's another key word that we'll see in this phrase, is day by day we have to struggle with this. So the word um, repent actually comes from a Greek word. Um, and it, and it, when you read it from the Greek word, it doesn't just simply mean to ask for forgiveness. Rather, it means to change after being with someone or something. In this case, change after being with God, right? So what do we know about about God. Well, God's word is, is God. It's spoken, right? So these people have received his word. They have received God. They have been with God, right? They have literally been with, with God. And so now they have the option to either change after being with God or to continue doing the same thing. I believe it was Spurgeon who said that uh, no one who receives Christ goes on to continue their old life but changes afterwards. Uh, and this is where this comes from, because in Acts, this is what people do. So we know that repent comes from this Greek word, and it means to basically change our, change our lives, to change our focus of our lives, the direction of our lives. So once we've accepted Christ, we are no longer focused on the things of the world, but rather we are focused on the things for the kingdom, for the glory of God. And so what he says is after you've repented, after you've changed your heart, right, after you've done more than just said, I accept Christ, but you're physically changing the direction of your heart, then you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. After that, that's when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right? So then, let's, uh, let's go a little further here. We're going to read 42 through 47, and we'll dive a little deeper, because this is the other key word that I want us to get in this. So this is after the 3,000 souls have been added, right? Now, uh, the way the Bible is written, uh, or the way Luke in particular is written, is this is one account, right? It's for, for one individual. It's an account, a historical account. So what we have to think is these verse numbers and these chapter numbers were not included in this original letter, right? So these paragraph breaks are just something that we have done over 500 years of biblical literacy to make it easier for people like me to preach to you and say, hey, verse 42, right? Uh, but the reality is this is all one train of thought. So all chapter 2 is one thought. And there's no coincidence that the end of chapter 2 ends with what we know as the fellowship of the believers, right? What they devoted themselves to after receiving Christ. So let's look at 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's two key words that we have to to pull in here. First and foremost, highlight the word devoted, because this is what we're going to go into next. But there's one word that is repeated about five times in this, and that is the word all. All is used several times in this. It's not one person. It's not one individual doing everything. It is all. So we can assume, because this is one train of thought, that all 3,000 of these people did this thing here, right? And then there's the words day by day, which happens twice. Basically, it's implying that what they do, they do daily. Now, the key to this comes in verse 42, and it says, And they, so the 3,000, have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. There it is, right there, verse 42. This is what, and I just kind of wrote this down. I was like, this sounds like four marks of a healthy Christian, right? And then I was reading from John Calvin, and he says this is the four marks of a healthy Christian or healthy church by which we will be judged. We will be judged according to these. So, Let's break them down. <laughs> so the first thing is the word devoted. It means give all or a large part of one's time or resources to something. In this particular case, it means to give all or part of one's resources to God, time to God. Uh, as you'll see, these things are basically things that eat up time, right? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, first and foremost. That is the first thing. Now, um, This means that they devoted themselves to the Word of God. As we have it today, we have a Bible. At the time period, they didn't have a Bible written with different verses and different scriptures and all that. Rather, they had the apostles literally there with them. And if we remember from the end of Luke, uh, Jesus opened their mind to understanding all of scripture. So these guys knew everything. They, They knew how to explain everything that needed to be explained. So the apostles were their their place to to hold on to, right, until this Bible was written. Now, we have the Bible, and we live in this 2,000-year period later, and so our version of the apostles lives here through the, the New Testament and through the epistles. So first and foremost, the thing that we have to cling to the most is God's Word. Simple, straight, right? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, remember, there's a word here, day by day, right? It keeps coming up in this, this chapter. So that means day by day we are devoting ourselves to the Word of God, not once a week, not once a month, not whenever, you know, you feel like just kind of digging a cool devotional, right? It's daily. The second is the fellowship. Now, at first, it's easy to just kind of overlook this word and not think anything of it. The fellowship, what does that mean? Just people gathering together, right? But the reality is it's, it's people gathered together with the purpose of the common cause of God, right? And sharing the gospel, There's a verse in Romans, um, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's Romans chapter 1, and this is uh, Paul's first letter in the Bible. So after Acts, just one chapter over, Romans, Romans 1. And there's something that Paul says that I've never really thought of until I kind of was reading it again, and it was like, oh, this kind of, this is interesting, right? When we think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who got changed on his road to Damascus, you know, he was, before that he was a Pharisee, so he had a pretty good literal knowledge of the Bible. We always think of him as being the one who is bringing the word to people, right? But Paul puts it a little differently in Romans 1. It starts in verse 11. It says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then in verse 12, that is, that we may mutually 
be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, right? Paul's saying, look, I, I want to bring the gospel to you, my gospel to you, but I also want to hear your gospel as well. I want to hear how it's changed you and impacted your life. So there's no coincidence that the second thing on here is the fellowship. We come together with the purpose of sharing how the gospel is changing us, how it's moving in our, in our lives. And in doing so, we are mutually benefiting each other's faith. The fellowship is essential. And then from there, back in Acts, it says the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Right? These are four things. Now, the breaking of the bread could mean doing communion, the literal supper of God, right? The Eucharist. Or it could also mean uh, just dining together in one's home. The way this is laid out, is it, in the way it's written specifically in this Greek terminology, it sort of lends more to just the dining together, to being in one place, to being in communion not just with God but with each other. It goes hand in hand with... The, uh, the, the fellowship, right? So what we're seeing is this idea of, okay, we were supposed to devote ourselves to the Word, and then after we've learned something, we're supposed to come together in fellowship with each other, and then while we're breaking bread, doing this communion with each other, we're giving each other and mutually benefiting each other. And then lastly, to prayer, right? Prayer is, is essential in our lives. We have to daily be praying, not just for ourselves, but for others, Right? Now, this kind of makes sense of those scriptures where it's like, we're two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you, right? So that's important when we say fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. How can I pray for you if I don't know what to pray for? How can I pray for you, right? What can I do for you if I don't know? And so every day, day by day, we are supposed to come together and just be able to communicate and to hear how the gospel is affecting you or hear what is being you know, not good in your life so that we can work together to get that done. So um, let's look at a few other scriptures here. Now, first and foremost, I want to look at something that, that may not seem like it makes much sense, but it will in a minute, okay? So when, I, when we go back before, when, when Peter says to repent and be baptized in the name of, of Jesus, how do we know that we've actually accomplished that, Right? And the best way to understand this is to look at a parable that Jesus gave. And actually the only parable that Jesus gave and then felt the need later to explain. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read a little bit in here. This is the parable of the, the, the sower, right? Jesus is ultimately the sower. He's the one who cast out the seed. Peter delivers the seed of the gospel, and then people have the chance to receive it. But the ground in which they receive it on is dependent on the person. So here we go in Luke chapter 8, this is verse 4. It says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does anybody understand that? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm assuming the people who are shaking their head have read the rest or a little further from here. So rather than me trying to explain it, I'm just going to let Jesus explain it. Because Jesus loved to speak in parables, and he knew that most people didn't understand what he was talking about. So in verse 9, 
It says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, right? The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And then lastly, as for that, in the good soil, they are those who are hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. We all want to be that one. You know, we all want to be verse 15, the one who has the good soil. When we hear the word, we bear it. We hold it fast in honest and good heart with patience, I think is the key word in this translation, patience. Uh, that goes back to being a day-by-day Christian. Every day, we're devoting ourselves to something. So when this crowd, for instance, heard the message, right? It says that 3,000 were saved and added to their number. But we can be safe to assume, because in verse 13 it talks about how some scoffed at them and saying that they had new, who were drunk with new wine, that some of them did not receive that message. Some people didn't receive it. Some people just rejected it altogether. I'm sure some, as they went along, it may have failed, and as the seed tried to mature, it didn't kick in, and it just didn't work. But what Luke intentionally includes is that verse 42, so that we know that in order to make that seed grow, it, requ- it has a requirement, right? It can't be done by itself. It requires devotion. So let's look at these seeds again. Okay, let's, let's take it like this. And, and I, I don't want to cast anyone out, but I want to just... I want you to think about yourself, right? When you heard the gospel for the first time, did it sink in? Were you good soil? Are you devoting your life daily to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers? Those are the marks. If you're not, maybe you're one of the other forms of soil. Now, I realize life is hard, and sometimes it's hard to do those four things daily, but is it? So there's something that I, I, like, I, I keep coming back to this, but we have to understand that, that it's really not much of a change. It's a big change spiritually, but it's essential to our life, right? We have to daily die to ourselves. So let's read a little bit more of Acts 2. And we'll start um, in verse 44. And it says, and all who believed, right, so this is the 3,000 plus, us in this room, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this last verse, the Lord does the work for us, right? This is what I'm trying to, this is the kind of what I'm building here. Like the song that we just sang, where it's yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in us. He works through us, right? By us devoting ourselves to Christ, he is using us. And just our simple act of devotion 
breeds more followers. So just simply coming to the temple, simply praying, simply being in presence, and more importantly, in fellowship with others, we have this opportunity to preach the gospel or a byproduct of the gospel. Our life is, is preaching the gospel, essentially. And so day by day, we have to do these things. Those, verse 42 basically explains what we have to do daily. But those other voices kind of take it a little, bit, a little bit further. Now, there was something I was reading in the book of Galatians. And this is interesting because Galatians is not always fun <laughs> for anyone who's ever read it. And this is in Galatians 5, so this is near the end here. Uh, and I think this kind of brings, it really brings it all home. It kind of makes it all sense, sense of everything, right? We, if we're daily supposed to devote ourselves to Christ, what does it look like to do that? And then not only that, but what does it look like to not do that? Right? If, if Christ has not taken hold of your life, what does your life look like? And if Christ has taken hold of your life, what does your life look like? And it's all summed up here in this passage from Paul in, in, in Galatians 5. And it starts in verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There it is. I can stop there. <laughs> right? Just simply walk by the Spirit, and you will not go after your desires. But it goes further. So, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So, I'll stop here. We've been reading in the catechism about the commandments, right? We just made it through the ninth and tenth commandment. We've covered those. That's what we consider the law, right? When we're led by the spirit, we're not chained to the law, because the spirit doesn't lead us into the law, right? The Spirit leads us past that. The law, as it says in the Bible, is written for sinners. It's written for people who are sinning. But if we are led by the Spirit, then we are not sinning, right? We're in union with Christ. And that's what this verse means. Now, to give us an idea of who the law was written for, in verse 19, it goes, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's so straightforward. You do this and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So then what do we do, right? What do we do? Because I think in some way, shape, or form, we are all guilty of these sins. Let's read them again. <laughs> the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, anything like those, right? We're all guilty of something on that list, and maybe even daily, which is why in the first part of this verse, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify your flesh. So what does the Spirit do? It bears good fruit. But what does it look like? In verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul here is saying, look, the only way to inherit the kingdom of God is to walk by the Spirit. Now, if we look at Acts 2 from the beginning, the Spirit has come 
upon man. God is resting on the new temple. But just like the old law, God can't rest in a temple that is full of junk and dirtiness. It can't exist there. It has to live in a sinless place, which is why it rests on our spirit and not on our bodies. It rests with our spirit because our spirit, when it is in step with Christ, our spirit will guide us in the proper way. Now, we sin daily, right? Just by nature, we are, we are sinners. But our spirit, when we walk by the spirit and we walk through the spirit, we will be guided not towards our flesh or the natural desires of our flesh, but outside of it. And that is hard, but it's not hard. Because in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and prayers. They did this for a reason, right? When we give all of ourselves to something, all of our resources to something, when we're devoting ourselves to those four things, we're filling those things with our heart as opposed to the other things, the desires of our heart, right? And so when it says in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need, it's saying that they were removing the idols from their heart, right? Right? It says that they were here. It says they gathered in their homes, right? So they, it's not that they were selling their homes. I want, to make, I want to make that clear. There are some places in Acts where people were instructed to do certain things. But in this particular case, they were selling things that were idolatrous to them, that were leading them astray. They were leading them away from Christ. We live in a junk-filled world, a technology-filled world full of junk. I was reflecting on this the other day, how many things like I own in my house that that's pull my time away from these four things, you know? Just simple things, right? Like, like, for instance, once again, this is why I had you guys turn off your phones. Because you can be reading your Bible on your phone, but then the next thing you know, you're checking your mail or you're checking a message that honestly doesn't really matter right now, does it? And so it's a distraction. We've been, we built a world of distractions around ourselves. And sometimes we have to distance ourselves from all of those distractions, all those earthly desires and things that we think we need, think we want, think that will make our lives better. But they don't. At the end of that portion of Galatians, it says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. When we desire things, we envy other people. We envy something. We want that something. And when our heart goes after that, it's not walking in the spirit. It's walking in the flesh. And so this morning, the key thing to take away here is that if we've truly repented, if we've truly taken on Christ in our lives, then daily, day by day, we have to cleanse our temple. We have to daily look at ourselves and reflect on it and say, is this a place that I want Jesus to live? Right? Is this dirty portion of my life something that I want Jesus to see? If I've been drinking excessively, is this something that I want Jesus to be subjected to? If I've been looking at pornography, is this something that I want to subject Jesus to? If I am cursing and yelling at my wife, is this something that I want to subject Christ to? Christ is with you everywhere you go. And the sad thing is, is I don't think most of us think about that. That's why daily they devoted themselves to those things. That's why daily they walked with each other because they knew that doing it alone 
they would fail. I recently had a conversation um, with my wife's stepfather, Chris, and he just started working at an organization that helps uh, veterans who uh, have been thinking about committing suicide. And one of the largest statistics is that people who are isolated have a higher tendency to pull the trigger, right, to, 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 to end their life. And it's really no different with Christianity. People who are isolated have a tendency to pull the trigger. Maybe not in, in a suicidal way, but in a different way, to commit that sin that they know they can do without, right? That thing that has been holding them back, that they can get past. And so that's why fellowship in particular is so important. It's essential, right? We think of, in this modern world, we think of church as a one-time-a-week kind of thing, and we think of it as maybe a, maybe a Bible study or Wednesday night service or something. But these guys in the first century thought it was a daily thing, a daily walk with each other. They welcome people into their homes. And so I think it's funny and a bit ironic how far we've gotten away from that, especially when we profess that we study the Word of God and it's written right here what we were supposed to do, and we don't do it. And so this morning, I repent. I'm repenting to everyone here because I have not lived this. And I know I haven't lived this. I haven't followed all of the devotion. I may read my Bible every day, but I haven't been in fellowship with everyone on a daily basis, right? I haven't broke bread with everyone on a daily basis, nor have I prayed for everyone on a daily basis. And so I repent because I haven't done the things that I have been instructed to do. And I urge everyone in here to look at themselves too and say, have I done this? Am I bearing the marks of a true Christian by which we will be judged? Or am I bearing the marks of someone who is at strife with God? Let's run through Galatians one more time, because I think this is a great way for us to really humble ourselves. So in 16 of chapter 5, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So here's the two things that I want us to look at and I want us to think about every day this week. And if you need someone to talk to, I will give you my phone number and we can be in fellowship together by all these things. If any of this is for you, then please contact me. I'm saying this right now. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, which is pretty much anything else under the sun at that point. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life looks like that, please come pray with me. And admittedly, all of our lives look like that at some point because our lives should look more like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we really belong to Christ, who is, we've been crucified with, our fleshly passions have to die as well. And so this morning, as we think about the old church, 
the Acts chapter 2 church, the first century church, and how they devoted themselves daily to being in each other's homes and in each other's presences, right? And to being around each other. That's what we have to do too. It's the only way we can get through this. Day by day, we have to look at the word of God. Day by day, we have to pray. Day by day, we have to be in fellowship. And day by day, we have to break bread with each other and talk to each other to avoid these conflicts with our flesh and our spirit so that we can do what it says here in verse 16 and walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. This is a hard one, I know. (laughs) For most everyone in here, this is not the easiest message. It's not a self-help message by any means. Um, But it, it, it is one of those things that I think is essential. Luke included this for a reason. He, he saw the potential of power, right? He saw that they received the Holy Spirit. He saw that the great things that happened, but there's a warning that comes with it. If we just end it with the 3,000 souls and that's it, then we don't see the struggle that came afterwards. The struggle is that they had to do this. They had to devote themselves daily to each other because if not, then they never would have been able to do anything else that comes in the rest of Acts. And there's a lot of miracles that happen in Acts. None of those things would have happened if they had just ended it. <laughs> you know, like, Peter, hey, man, great message, 3,000 souls, that's really awesome, you know, and then just walked away. And in our American world, this is how we think of things. We look at churches who are larger than us, and they'll be like, we got 100 baptisms today. Awesome. Or we prayed for 3,000 people, and, and people become numbers. And as soon as people become numbers then they are not actually people anymore. And we don't treat them like people. And we're not doing that part two, which is the fellowship. So this morning, I ask every one of us here to look at each other. Maybe find someone here in this church that you know kind of well, maybe, maybe not so well. Get their phone number and ask them if you can be a, a prayer buddy, a, a Bible study buddy with them. Right? There's a portion in Titus that talks about older women and younger women mentoring each other. Let's do that. <laughs> the older men, younger men mentoring each other so that we don't delve into the flesh, but rather we create this community and this fellowship that was exactly what Christ pictured for us so that we will walk by the Spirit. So this morning, this is where I'm going to end it. <laughs> I just want to encourage everyone in this room who I truly believe is here for the right purpose and the right intention that we will walk together in Christ, right? And we will look at our family in this room and we will treat them like family and welcome them in, into our homes, into our rooms so that we can all grow and learn daily and so that we can walk in the Spirit together. If you will, let's say a prayer together. And then at the end, if anyone would like to come up and have a prayer, if needs to pray, by all means, I'll be up here waiting for that too. Dear Lord, We just give you thanks and honor and glory this morning for your word, which sometimes is a little hard. (laughs) It's a little harsh. It can be a bit bittersweet. It can give us the milk that we need, but sometimes it comes at a cost. And just as you've asked us to pick up our cross and walk with you, Lord, we pray that today we will do that. And we will look at the first century church and we will say, we need to do these things today. We don't need to act like what is current, but act like what is true. And we ask, Lord, that you will fill everyone in this room with a desire for you to walk in the Spirit with you and not in the flesh. That we will all devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles, to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And as we do so, Lord, just from that simple act of devotion, that you, day by day, will use us to bring more into your kingdom. 
I just pray that everyone in here, no matter what they're going through, Lord, that they will see more of you today than they've seen to you in the past, and that you will fill their hearts with gladness and joy. In Jesus' holy name, amen.